In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So you guys know we have finished the life of David the prophet repentance last time. We were talking about David becoming a king, then David living a life according to God's will. Then David committed a sin, and after he committed the sin, he even forgot to repent. He was so consumed by defending himself and covering for himself, himself. Then God sent him a prophet to rebuke him. And then David repented. God told him, I will not let you die. Your kingdom will continue. But he gave him some consequences for, for his sin. And one of the consequences was that the sword is not going to leave his house. And there will be fighting inside his home. So now we saw David repenting. Now we're going to start going through the life of the house of David and his children and see what happened and the fallenness of the children. So we'll start from chapter 13. After this, after David repented, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amun, the son of David, loved her. Amun was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, sick, for she was a virgin, and it was proper for Amun to do anything to her. So Tamar was a sister of Amun, and she, was, she did not share the same mother. So she shared, shared David as the father, but did not share the same mother. So they're half brother, half sister. Obviously, Tamar... He, it was so, she was so beautiful, but he could not sleep with her because the book of Leviticus commanded against this. In Leviticus 18.9, it said, The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. It means that you should not marry your sister at this time. This is one of the commandments of Leviticus. So Amun... He started getting lustful thoughts toward his sister, and he could not sleep because of how much he was thinking about his sister in a lustful way. And it's actually quite common when people are in relationships or dating or even have lustful sins, sometimes they lose sleep over the lust, their desire, their thoughts. And many times we lose sleep over many things that are all vanishing. Yeah, people might lose, lose sleep over financial problem, over uh, somebody that they feel they, they, don't, they cannot please. This, this kid, he is a prince, and he has a lot of responsibility. He could not focus on anything but his lust for his sister. And obviously, we as the children of God consider people in the church and our family as my brother and sisters. And the extended family is the rest of the world. So he did, instead of him trying to fight his lust and his desire, he became sick. The fact that he became sick, it means that he kept indulging on the thoughts, thinking more, trying to tempt himself more, he became so occupied with only the sins. 
One of the things about the sin of lust in general is that the sin of lust, because it is so controlling over the human mind and heart, it almost makes the person act like an animal. He didn't even consider the fact that she was a sister. I remember a while ago, I was reading some articles, they're saying the most, when the internet like, became more very popular, they're saying some of the most popular websites became bad websites from how much people search these things. It's a controlling disease that goes through people. But Amun had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemai, the David's brother. This is, this is his cousin. And now Jonadab was a very crafty man. So Jonadab was a crafty man. It means he was wise, he's intelligent. This man is like Mackenzie. He's like a consultant. You go to him, he'll tell you whatever, whatever you need to get. Okay? So the problem is, is in general, we say that sin, like I was telling you last time, has three components. Sin has lust or temptation, environment, and will. Temptation, will, temptation, will, and environment. One of the things that we can control as human is environment. I cannot really control the temptation much. I cannot control the lust much. So in his case, in, in his case, Amun could not focus on controlling the environment. For he looked very sick. Now he ran to a friend. This friend was so smart that he's going to make him get what he wants in the most intelligent way ever, right? And he's going to put him in the bad environment of sin and he will commit a terrible sin. And he said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Looks like Amun was losing weight. He couldn't sleep. He went to the emergency room. He's not eating. So first of all, it's obvious that he's getting sick. His his advisor is very smart, very intelligent. He can notice that he's getting sick. And this is important. What kind of people you surround yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people who always pleases you and tell you just to do what you want to do? And if somebody tells you anything against what you want to hear, you completely cut them out because you feel like, you know, they're not good friends. And Amun said to him, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. Obviously, I can imagine Amun being so embarrassed to say this, but it looks like Abidaneb kept kind of, you know, asking him and come on, what's wrong, what's happening? And then fine, you know, I love my sister. I have lust for my sister. Obviously, he's, he's not using the right language. He's telling him, I love my sister, but it's not about love at all. It's more about lust. I want to take advantage of my sister. And that's something we talked about before, the problem with changing the vocabulary of the action. Abuna, I did not say the truth instead of saying I lied. You know? Abuna, I, uh, I stayed up late, I couldn't come, so I said I, w I got lazy. Here, he says, I loved her. This is not. The other problem he did was he shared his sin with his friends. And that's a big, big, big problem. 
when I share my sins with my friends, quite often it makes me more willing to commit the sin. There's a difference between me, for example, getting drunk on my own and getting drunk with my friends. Because now I don't feel the burden of the sin as much. We're encouraging each other. There's a difference between me falling into lustful sins by myself or sharing these thoughts with my friends. Then I feel everybody's doing it. So what's the big deal? So he shared the problem of his lustful sins with a friend. So Jonadab is like one of those friends that we like to have, but we shouldn't have. He's so smart, he helps you to get what you want, but he does not tell you what is the right thing to do. He's only there to help you to get what you want. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, David obviously as a father is going to go check on his ill son. Say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hands. Then Amun lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amun said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hands. Jonadab proposes a genius idea. Tells him, look, you are a king. You are the child of David. You are the prince. You don't need to do anything. All what you need to do is act like you're sick. And then David is going to come and check on you. When David comes and check on you, tell him, bring my sister over to feed me and to take care of me because I'm sick. Now, what does this advice do? Number one, Tamar must go because she's ordered by the king. Number two, David also takes part of the blame because he sent Tamar to Amun. She follows his order. So the advice he gave him, genius. But genius in evil, not genius in good. That's the difference between having friends who tells you, man, do what you like, do what you want, whatever, whatever makes you happy. You know, all these things that we hear, this is the type of friendship that destroys us. The type of friendship is destroying us. Now look at, look at him. He's telling him, bring her over and make her cook in front of me. And he had issue with lust. And now he's trying to feed into the lust, the problem. David, as a king, it seems like he did not do a good job raising his children. And we're going to see this as we go through it. And also, he did not do a good job examining what his son is asking. And whatever his children asked, he gave them. His children, the children of David, were, was, were raised when he was in the land of the Philistines. And they were impacted by the people around them. And it looked like he did not feed them the spiritual life. So now we see that once he became a king, instead of trying to raise them, he started to spoil them. This is a very common behavior of people of wealth, people of power. They tend to spoil their friends. 
or their children. And David sent home to Tamar saying, Now go to your brother Amun's house and prepare food for him. David gave her an order. So Tamar went to her brother Amun's house and he was lying down. Then she took flour and, and kent it and made cakes on his side and baked the cake. And she took the, the pan and replaced them out before him. But he refused to eat. Then Amun said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. So what happened is Amun told her, okay, can you please make me some cake in front of me just to open my appetite? You know, I'm kind of hungry. So she started baking the food in front of him, okay? And once she baked it, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't eat. You know, my, I can't eat, my appetite is down. So then he's like, okay, everybody leaves, everybody leaves. I just want to be alone with my sister, okay? Obviously, Tamar seems to be very innocent as a person. And she acted out of innocency. She did not expect her brother to be deceiving and her, her brother to do such a thing with her. And that's why it's important for us to be careful hatta even sometime from the closest people. Yani many, many children, but some children were abused by their relatives. So sometimes it's important to be careful about your children. You can act in an innocent way. You can nature be innocent, but also you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Because Amun now is asking Tamar for things that's a bit unusual. Now it's getting to become very uncomfortable. Then Amun said to Tamar, bring the food into my bed. He kicked everybody out. And now he's telling her, bring the food into my bed that I may eat from your hands. And Tamar took the cakes which she has made and brought them to Amun, her brother, in the bedroom. Now, when she had brought them to, to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. So we see here, Amun started playing the victim, the sick, the ill, played the game. Now David is involved. He ordered her to come. The poor girl is innocent. She came here doing what she was told. He's, he's using sweet language, tell her you're my sister and I love you and all that stuff. Obviously all these things are manipulative techniques so he can get what he wants. And that's sometime an issue when somebody is falling under the temptation of lust that they were willing to say anything or do anything to get what they want at the moment. Look what Tamar did. But she answered him, No, my brother, no, do not force me, for no such a thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I go, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of my fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed to her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Tamar, such a very beautiful young lady, she started giving him some good reasons why he shouldn't rape her. The first one, she told him, you're going to have an issue with public opinion in Israel. You are the oldest son of David. If you want to become a king one day, how can you become a king? You raped your sister. And in, in, in Israel, by the way, even in Genesis 34, 7, 
the son of Jacob came into the field, there was an issue with somebody raped, and it was not accepted in the scripture. So she's telling him this is something that people of Israel are not going to accept. Number one. Number two, that she would have no future because she's going to lose her virginity. And at that time, if she lost her virginity, she's considered to be some, nobody can look at her. Now, the third thing she told him, she made a suggestion. She told him, look, if you really love me that much and you want me, ask for my hand. Remember earlier I told you that it was by law illegal for him to marry his sister. As we saw in Leviticus. But maybe she was not aware of the law very well. Tamar wasn't aware of the law. Or maybe she heard of the story of Sarah and Abraham that was before Leviticus. So she thought maybe we can make exceptions. But it's much better than what's going to happen to her at this moment. Now all her very convincing arguments meant nothing to Ammon. Nothing. And then he started, Laban obviously, he forced her, raped her into the sin. And this is why it is very important to understand what it is truly love means. Love means sacrifice and commitment. A lot of times people are in a relationship that is purely based on selfishness. I get what I want from the person and that's all. And that's the relationship. That does not become the right way, the right dynamic. Love is about sacrifice, commitment, equality, not dominance. Not dominance. It has to be a sense of freedom in love. Look what happened after he was sick, he was about to die because he couldn't sleep with her. He came up with this crazy plan for his sister. Look at what verse 15 said. Then Ammon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, Arise and be gone. Ammon told her what? Get out. Leave. See such a reversal between love and hate. Because this is, love never fails. Lust fails all the time. And after lust, there's always guilt. And the person who lusted more, and the person who feels more guilty. More guilty. And Tamar, the poor thing, she's now being treated very harshly. And that happens a lot, by the way, in relationships. When, for example, the guy, for example, the guy has a sexual desire, he treats the girl and tells her all the sweet stuff, and whenever something happens, then he becomes guilty and tough in the relationship. So here, this guy told her, the Bible said he hated her. This is the result of sin. So she said to him, look at Tamar, such a wonderful lady. No, indeed, please don't kick me out. This evil of sending me away, 
is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servants who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Wow. Can you imagine? She told him, if you let me go, this is much worse. Now I have no future. Now if, if this happened, maybe you can call your dad. We can try to find a solution. We can ma get married. We can work something out. But he hated her so much for no reason. He kicked her out and told his servants, I do not want to see this person. Let her out. Lots of guilt, rejection, hate, the consequences of sin. All in here. All in here. Okay, that's why we always tell people, be careful with your standards. Be careful with your standards. That one obviously Tamar was a victim. And one of the issues of the victim of rape is that the person who gets raped, they usually feel guilty. And they feel they are not able to share what they went through. Because part of them feels that what happened was their fault. What happened was their fault. They saw part of them feel like maybe I have allowed it. Maybe I've, I've, I've consented to part of it. They don't understand they are victims. So they feel guilty. They feel shame. They feel broken. And at the end of the day, they are victims. And now she had a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters were such a peril. And his servants put her out and bolted the door behind her. Obviously, in the old days, right now you have Facebook or Instagram, you can put your status, single, married, you know, this stuff. In the old days, it wasn't this way. It wasn't, you, had, you wear certain clothes that talks about your status in the society and talks about your status as single, virgin, married, that's one of the main reasons that St. Paul was talking about women to cover their head in the church because the hair was a form of showing what's your status. Are you single? Are you married? Are you divorced? So it became a distraction to people in the church. Okay, and so you're coming to check people out, you should come and pray. So here, now she had a specific robe, color, color robe that reminds you of Joseph, okay? to show that she's a daughter of a king, she's single, she's not married, she's beautiful. Now after the sin, and that's not her fault, what happened? Then Tamar, she ripped the rope and put ashes on her head and tore her rope of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. bitterly. By the way, this is exactly the same movement that people do when somebody dies. If you ever go to Upper Egypt, you see the women's are, you know, weeping, they thought to put her head on, her head on, her hands on her head, and they scream and they cry and stuff. The same feeling of death and the same expression of death was her expression after she was raped. She was wounded. And at that time, she was rejected, and she did not know what to do. 
And Absalom, her brother, this is Absalom, her full brother, said to her, has Amun your brother been with you? Obviously when Absalom saw her, ripped her robe, she's crying, dust over her head, she does not look very good. He told her, the first thing he suspected, he says, was my dear Amun, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing into heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother's Absalom's house. But when the king's David heard of these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amun, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amun because he had forced his sister Tamar. Obviously, Absalom jumped into the right conclusion, which means that Amun probably have showed interests, have shown some initial kidda, uh, uh, interest in his sister, but nobody could imagine he would do such a thing. Okay? Now her, her, her brother, Absalom, tried to comfort her. He told her, you know, he's your brother. Don't take it to heart. He tried to comfort her as much as he can, but inside him he was boiling. He was very angry at his brother for doing this. And also, Tamar remained desolate in her brother's home. You guys know when we talk about some PTSD and people had traumatic experience, this is exactly what she went through. Now she is in a home desolate, broken. And she needs some intervention for her to recover from what happened to her. Obviously, all the nice words that her brother tried to tell her does not comfort her. But now look at David's reaction. What did David do? David got so angry. And then what did he do? Nothing. He saw his son committing a crime. And he did nothing. And that what made his brother or his son Absalom now even more angry. When you are in a place where you need to take an action of justice and you remain complacent, you cause more problems around you. And we saw this with Eli the priest. We saw this with Samuel the prophet. All of them were lenient with their children. People see their children do something wrong and they get angry and they yell, but no consequences. And later on, the kids know, oh, what my parents are going to do, they're going to yell. Just take the yelling and move on with your life. <coughs> but that's why it's important to understand that part of discipline is important because actually discipline prevents hate. If people are well disciplined at a young age, and learn how to truly pay for what they have done, they will understand when love comes. But when everything comes to them so easy, they don't understand the difference between love and hate. To them, it's all about selfishness. And they don't appreciate when they receive a gift. Now, obviously, Absalom is very, very upset that his dad did nothing and he held it in his hand, in his heart. 
obviously, Absalom in this story, so far, he did few things that are good. He comforted his sister. He took her in. But one of the biggest mistakes he made is that he did not go and confront his father and tell him, why were you silent on what happened to my sister? He wanted to take matter into his own hands. So we'll see what he did. It came to pass after two full years, two full years, that Absalom had shear, uh, sheep shearers in Belhazar, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited the king's sons. Remember I told you before, sheep shearing was a, was a, a festival. They'll come and take all, the, all the, the hair from the sheep. And it was an event, a festival. You see it in Genesis 38, 1 Samuel 25, something they used to do. So it's been two years. Everybody kind of forgot about what happened with Tamar. Everybody moved on with their life. The poor lady is desolate in her brother's house. He sees her every day. He sees what he was committed to her. He doesn't know what to do. Now, two years later, he found the perfect opportunity. He went to the king and told him, I'm having a party. Can I invite all my brothers and sisters over? Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note your servant has, she has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. Look, Absalom is very smart. If he tells him, I want to invite only my brothers, David will know. So he first started by inviting David, knowing that David probably wouldn't go. It's, a, yeah, it's an event, but it's not a big deal. You know, it's like a birthday party. It's not the end of the world. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not go now, lest we be burdened to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. So David told him, look, if we go, and all your brothers and stuff, this is all the princess and the king, and we're going to go to your house. It's a lot of planning, a lot of stuff like that. It's not going to work. Let's, we're going to be burdened to you. So he kept insisting, insisting, insisting. Then Absalom said, look, Absalom, he expected David to say no. If not, please let my brother Amun go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he let Amun and all the king's son go with him. David knows that Absalom and Amun are not talking. But David has an issue. He cannot say no to his children. He cannot say no to his children. I was talking with a kid recently, and he got away with so many things. I told him, how did you get away with so many things? He told me, I know how to control my parents. It's like, if I don't get what I want, I get upset, I don't talk to them. He has a routine. And he knows this routine works all the time. To the point that his parents starting getting him things that's just insane. Because he got his routine down. David was reluctant. He, he, had not, he didn't have a good feeling about this. But he could not say no to his children. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amun's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amun, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So here the plan becomes clear. He invites all the children's king, uh, the, the king's children, waits for 
Ammon to get drunk, and he tells the servant, kill him. He's obviously giving the, king, the, the servants like a motivational speech. I have commanded you to kill him. Be courageous. Obviously, they're killing a prince. It's a big deal. But he's giving them words of encouragement to commit the, 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 this big sin against him. I want to just gonna take a couple of minutes to talk a little bit about the problem that we see over and over again with drinking. Almost every story in the Bible associated with a big disaster had drinking involved. Noah's children revealed him when he was naked. Herod killed John the Baptist because, because he, he, he was in a party drinking and he wanted to please uh, Herodette's daughter. Belshazzar was drinking in a party and he saw the word from heaven coming to him and told him, your kingdom is over. People don't understand how much drinking impact them. People don't understand how much drinking impact them. And I'm going to tell you guys something. There are certain things that the devil have already ruled in in the world. And one of them is drinking. Like when you speak about drinking, you feel like you are the minority now. If you speak about premarital sex, obviously in the, in, the, in the culture, you feel like you're minority. Now, the devil is controlling this area. And he made what's right wrong and what's wrong right. And many people go to weddings and go to receptions and go to vacations and, 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 and they do not watch for drinking. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was telling him, if you go to any vacation, any reception, any drink you can get without alcohol, you can get the same drink, just the non-alcoholic version of it. What is so special about you putting the alcohol inside if you don't want to get drunk, if you don't want to get tipsy? But people just like a moon follow their temptation without any logic, without any understanding. You sit with them, you have no logic. But they just move on because temptation makes us act like animals. This is not specific to Amun. This is specific to every one of us. When temptation takes over us, we lose every logic. And the servants of Absalom did to Amun as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose, and each one got into his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were on the way, the news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Obviously, when the servants of Absalom killed Amun, there was a chaos. The big guy, the big servants is killed. Everybody's running, everybody's fleeing away. Nobody knows what's happening. Now the news came to David exaggerated as usual. All your children are dead. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants stood by with, with, his, with their clothes torn. You know, every time David faces a problem, what does he do? Towards his clothes, gets on the ground. Imagine if 
any of us gets this news, somebody died, where, how, what happened, what's wrong, let's do. The first thing he did, him and his servants, all his servants even learned, let us store our clothes and let us get on the ground and let us pray. I'm not really sure if David feels a lot of guilt because he allowed this party to happen in the first place. He also might feel guilty because of his own sin and the consequences that God told him you will face. He might have felt guilty because he did not take justice against Amun when he raped Tamar. He was in a place where almost I felt like he was paralyzed. Is this happening because of my actions? I mean, this is his children. He loves them. He loves all of them. What is he going to do? Then Jonadab, you guys remember Jonadab? Jonadab was the advisor of Amun, the one who set him up to sleep with Tamar. The son of Shema, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they killed all the young men, the king's son, for only Amun is dead, for by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to heart to think that all the kings are all the king's sons are dead, for only Amun is dead. Jonadab obviously knows what's inside Amun's heart and Absalom's heart. This guy who gives the bad advice and the crafty as advice knew about the plan, knew about the evil that's going to happen and did nothing. You have to ask yourself, what motivates this guy? What motivates him to give the best advices and to allow all this evil to happen? And you will note in two verses. I'm going to tell you in two verses. And Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road to the hillside behind. So what happens is, after all this chaos, Absalom fled, he ran away, and messenger was, was sent to Jerusalem, and, and now the king looked and all the, uh, the, the chariots of the princes are coming. So they started saying, look here, the children of David are coming. Look, but here is how do you know what's his motivation? And Jonadab said to the king, look, the king's sons are coming as your servant said, so it is. This guy likes to be right. I told you so. I am Mr. Remember, it reminds you with Achitofa, the guy who gave advices. We're going to hear him about him later. And he always likes to be right. And one time the king did not follow his advice, even though his advice was good for the king, what the king wanted, he committed suicide. Because the king would not listen to him. What motivated him is for people to say, aha. Uh -huh, this guy is wise. This guy knows what he's doing. Let me go ask him. He knows it all. That was his motive. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's son indeed came and they lifted up their voices and wept. And the king and all his servants wept bitterly. I'm sure there, there is a mix of sadness and joy because not all the sons are dead. 
only one, but also obviously they're sad for what happened. And Abshalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Ahimud, the king of Gashur, and David mourned for his son every day. Abshalom fled out of Israel. He went to an area between Israel and Syria in the north of Gilead. You see the reference to it in 2 Samuel 3, 3. And he lost all chances at this point of becoming the king, of, of inheriting the throne of Israel. Abshalom fled and went to Geshur, and he was there for three years. Why is the Bible repeating that he fled two times? Because the Bible is trying to say the situation reached a deadlock. King David is mourning. He cannot accept him back because he just killed his brother. And now Abshalom is away and the king is in Jerusalem and the situation is stuck. Verse 39 says, And King David longed to go to Abshalom, for he had been comforted concerning Ammon because he was dead. Later on, David said, You know what? I would love to see my son Abshalom. Because after two years, after three years, he started feeling, okay, you know, the pain of his, the death of his son is starting to get better. So he wanted to see his son, but he couldn't. Because there's an element of justice that is missing. There's element of justice that was missing. And it's, it's quite interesting that David, the same person who was complaining against Saul for being unjust king and not being careful of the people around him, he himself falls in very similar mistakes that Saul before him made. And now the prophecy of Nathan, the sword shall not depart from this house, was working in David's life. Now we'll take a couple of verses from verse 14 and continue ne ne next time. So now we have a situation that is really sad. Absalom is away for three years. He's stuck. David in Jerusalem. David wants to see him, but he really can't see him. S stuck. We don't know what to do. So Joab, the son of Zariah, you guys remember Joab? Joab is the head of the army of David. I know a lot of names, but later on you guys will remember them. Joab is the head of the army of David, and he was related to him. Perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. So Joab is close to David. He said, you know what? I see that David wants to see his son. So Joab is going to try to come up with an idea to bring back Abshalom back to David and I mean there's a little bit of a, a nice analogy kida, is David represents in this part God and Abshalom represents us the sinner and Joab represents the beautiful servant who goes and brings the sinners back to God God wants them to come right and some of them may be in a situation where they need kida, a touch of of one of the children of God to bring them. So now we have an interesting situation where Absalom is away. David is stuck. He doesn't know what to do. He can't go because people will obviously be very upset. So what is he going to do? So Joab sent to Teko and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, 
Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king, speak to him in this manner. So Joab put words in her mouth. So I'm going to tell you what's going to happen quickly and then we'll go through it. So Joab is a very intelligent man. He's going to use the same strategy that God used with Nathan with David. He told her, look, um, he found a woman. He went for a specific woman. He told her, look, I want you to look like somebody who is crying and mourning and sad for a very long time. And then you're going to go meet the king. Whenever there's a difficult case, you have to ask the king. So she wants to the king. And she's going to tell the king, I have a problem. He's like, what's your problem? She'll be like, I have two sons who are fighting and one of them kills the other. So I lost one of my children. Now my family wants me to take the one that's left and surrender them to justice. But he's the only one I am left with. I don't want to give him up. And now my life is in danger. And my son's life is in danger. This is very similar to the situation David is in, right? He's stuck. So he told her, don't worry. Nobody will touch you. And nobody will harm you. And then once she got this promise from him, then she started kind of talking and told him, so why are you causing all Israel to grieve and letting your son Absalom live far away? And that's how the deadlock broke. You see, I'll tell you guys a, a nice contrast between Joab and Jonadab. Joab saw that David wants his son back, but he was stuck. It's actually a good thing what David wants at this point. So he tried to help him. Jonadab saw that his friend wants something, but what he wants is bad. He tried to help him. That's the difference between a good friend and a bad friend. One would help you when you want to do good. One would help you when you want to do bad. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Next week we'll continue. We'll see what happened with Absalom uh, and his return to